Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to the Addicts Anonymous podcast. I'm your host, Jim Rochelles. Today is episode 261 and we're going to be interviewing Trey. How you doing, Trey? Pretty good. How are you? I'm doing well. So how's your morning going so far? Oh, not too bad. Got up, spent a little alone time with God and had breakfast. And now I'm talking to you. So That's good. That's good. So you pray in the morning? Oh, yeah, all, the time. all the time. That's good. That's good. So um, let's get started here. First question I ask everyone, tell me about your childhood and growing up. How was that? Well, I would have considered it normal. I think most people do because, you know, you don't have perspective on the rest of the world. Um, I was raised, my dad got saved when I was about five and became a preacher a couple years later. My grandpa was a preacher. And so from a very young age, I've had religion instilled in me, which is good and bad. Um, we lived in a parsonage for four or five years, and I got to see the inner workings of the church. And so that, I won't say skewed my view on life, but I was sheltered, heavily sheltered from a lot of things. But also seeing the kids in a very poor community, I was like, there's a lot of stuff that I, you know, I, I knew at a young age there was things that I didn't know and wasn't being exposed to. And I could tell that a lot of these kids had a really rough life. So it always kind of intrigued me. And I wanted to, you know, we were trying to help them, but at the same time, you can't help somebody very well unless you have a perspective on what they're going through and no, so that, of course, that makes total sense that, i don't know oh as i got older i was introduced to more and more things um i was homeschooled so that was oh, you were? Sort of very did you have any brothers or sisters <clears throat> yeah i have four, four i'm the oldest, family. Five. You're the oldest yeah. of five and um so i actually started high school because it turns out it was going to be more expensive to try and get my driver's license through a private course so I was like, you know what, you need to get out of my hair anyways, just go to high school. And so that, I mean, just opened me up to a whole different world, you know, um, seeing so. words I'd never heard and sexual things and drugs primarily. Um, I was, so what was the, going back just a second, what was, what was being homeschooled like? Well, with my mom, very strict for the most part is I honestly, after I hit eight or nine I mostly taught myself she'd throw books at us and we'd do them and do the homework and that was it so I was pretty much self-taught you hit mute you just muted yourself oh, I'm sorry so what'd you say no no I'm listening you said you were self-taught basically essentially yeah she'd just give us books I mean she'd help us a little bit but by the time I was 15 and I took the entrance exam to see where I would place in high school I was at a college level on everything except for math and so I, I did a good job of teaching myself, and I always have, but at the same time, there was a lot of real-world experience that I never got because of that, you know what I mean? And so whenever I did start high school, I think one of the first things I ever tried was Flexeril. A buddy of mine had, I don't know where he got him, but like, just like a fishbowl full of Flexeril, just a muscle relaxant. Flexeril's so called? Flexeril? Flexeril? I never heard of it. I think it's just some generic muscle relaxant, 
but we would we wound up taking like eight or ten of those a day sometimes and just getting all zonked out you know your muscles just kind of go limp and you don't feel great but it was different you know it beat sobriety at 15 and that led me into smoking cigarettes and then i started smoking pot and that's where everything really started yeah it was uh that just they call it a gateway drug and especially before it was legal that's absolutely true because you'd go over to a buddy's house and be like oh you want some, well, you want to try this? You want to try that? You, you should try this. And he's like, well, you know, mom and dad told me pot was bad. Why not try these other things too? Pot doesn't seem bad. What, you know, the other stuff can't be that bad either. And that's where I made my first big mistake. Yeah. So when you got to high school, it sounded like it was a big culture shock. <clears throat> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I'd, I'd learned things I'd never even dreamed of before and started making, of course, the bad friends that everybody worries about their kids hanging out. But it, uh, within a year or two, I was that bad friend trying to, you know, push my limits so far as getting other people to push theirs. Yeah, I mean, my friend Johnny growing up, he was very religious. His parents, same thing, instilled religion in him. But once he got into drugs, he went off the rails. Yeah, and that, that was exactly me. Um, let's see, I started drinking at about 16. Quickly turned into an alcoholic. Dropped out of high school at 17 and started working. As soon as I could, um, I moved out. Like right Did you say age. you were alcoholic by the time you were 16? Well, yes, in the sense that once I started, I couldn't stop. And I said, oh, I still am. I don't drink anymore. But I that first sip of a beer always turns into a bottle of whiskey for me every time. There's no in-between. There's no, you can have a beer. I cannot. And I, that defines alcoholism to me is, you know, I, I can't have any of it, and I will always want it. Um, it. That's always ran heavily in my family. Addiction runs heavily in my family. I, I guess it's genetics. But um, Who else was yeah. addicted in your family? <clears throat> oh, lots of people. Uh, I got a cousin that's a real bad alcoholic and still, I mean, he relapses all the time. Um, got cousins on drugs. Had a cousin die of a heroin overdose a few years ago. It's just very prevalent in small town areas, especially. There's not much else to do around here. Yeah, how, you said your town's 1,200 people? Yeah. Yeah, that's really tiny. I don't even know how. I would have to look up how many is in my township. I have no clue. I know it's a lot more than that, though. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm sure. So drugs were prevalent in this small community? Oh, yeah, still are. Probably always will be. I guess it just spreads easier when there's a lot less people around and there's nothing to do. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So having a lack of interesting things is really a big deal because we have a lot of nature around here, which just gives you more places to go hide and smoke a joint or do whatever, you know. So you said the first thing you tried was uh, pot? Yeah, pretty much besides like the muscle relaxers. Who, who was with, uh, who'd you do it with the first time? Uh, well, actually, I'd heard all my friends talking about it, and I wanted to try it. They seemed happy doing it. So I asked my cousin to bring me some, and he did, and a couple other buddies came with him. And, of course, you know, especially a small town, that's how it is. Everybody wants to smoke everybody else's stuff because nobody has money. And, and so we went behind my house before the parents got home and smoked a joint, and I didn't feel a daggum thing. And I was sad. They were all high. I'm like, okay. They're like, well, it doesn't always work your first time. So the next day, they invited me down to the park, and they were on a blunt. And boy, I got probably the most stoned I've ever been on weed that first time. And I remember walking home feeling like a robot. And my buddy picked me up. He's like, uh, you need to go take a nap. 
<laughs> I guess I'm sure I was acting all crazy. But um, yeah, that's really what started. It was like, man, this is awesome. And I just it progressed from there. And I wanted to try everything I could get my hands on. So what was the next thing after pop booze? Uh, well, booze, yeah, I honestly started drinking a little bit before that. It wasn't real heavy, but like the first couple of times I started drinking, I knew that if I was going to do it, it was going to be an all night thing. What was the earliest age you did anything? <clears throat> 14 or 15, I smoked my first cigarette. Okay. And then came about two weeks after that. So probably early 15. So you said you dropped out of high school at 17? Yeah, they caught me smoking cigarettes behind there and wanted to do this and that. And I don't like getting yelled at very much. So I just walked off and never went back. Really? What did your parents say? Well, they... They knew at that age, mom and dad were starting to fight and they had a, they got a divorce like a year and a half later. So they knew they couldn't control me. I was at that age to where I was bigger than both of them and they couldn't really do anything physically. And they knew if they tried to do too much mentally or emotionally, it would just push me away even farther. So they just kind of let me be. What made you make the decision to leave? <clears throat> uh, the fact that I couldn't stand my mom. We didn't talk for 11 years. No, no, no leave high school. Leave high school. Oh, high school. Because I didn't feel like I was learning anything um, because, like I said, even before I went in, I was at a college level on pretty much everything but math, and I wanted to make money. I was already working what I could, but I wanted to get a tax-paying job and be able to support for myself. I knew my family was falling apart, but I just need to get out and do life on my own. Yeah. So what age did you leave your house? Uh, just after I turned 18. Just after you turn 18? Moved in with a buddy, and then within a year, I had my own place. What were you doing for work at the time? Um, I worked at a restaurant for 11 years. Started off in the all on the register, and I did everything. Um, I wound up managing for several, several years. And that was bad, because the second night I was ever there at close, they took me up in the kitchen, handed me a beer, sat down on the counter, and pulled out a bong. Yeah, I hear so the that, restaurant industry is very... Very heavy drug culture. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's the only way most of those guys get through their day. And while I don't condone it, I understand it because people are mean, man. People are the worst part of about any job like that or customer service of any kind. Oh, yeah, I'm in retail, so I know. And I, I, yeah. I deal with large sale items. So people, when it comes to a lot of money, they can mm -hmm. act crazy. Oh, yeah. And that's why I always try to tell people, it's like, I don't care if you're having a bad day. Be nice to that kid behind the counter because you don't know what they're going through either. Oh, of it, course. It's rough, man. And then you just make them want to go and do worse things every day. But uh, yeah, the restaurant industry is where I got introduced to mushrooms and this. Well, I should go back. In high school, I, this one girl kept giving me pain pills. And I always liked them, but I never really got that addicted to them, right? Well, um, whenever I got my own place, the girl I, my, one of my best friends was my roommate. But she decided quickly to move out with her boyfriend. So I was just looking for about anybody who helped me pay the bills. I just, you know, I didn't want to have to give up my place, break my lease. And this guy came down. Um, I won't say his name, but he was from Indianapolis and he was living with his parents because he'd gone through a bunch of stuff, just got out of jail. I'm like, okay, you know, whatever. So I got him a job. He seemed like a nice guy. No big deal. I'm like, hey, you want to move in? All, all we did was smoke and drink. Uh, that was it at the time. About a month after he moved in, he pulled out some Vicodin and gave him to me. And we started getting morphine. And then we started buying scripts. And before you know it, I was an opiate addict. And within nine months of me 
that first time, within the first year he was there, I was shooting up heroin. And I don't know, it was just a really steep slope. But at 19 years old, I was shoving needles in my arm. And I, I honestly, even looking back, I don't know how it got to that that fast. I just didn't really care, I guess. I can't imagine sticking a needle in myself. That must, especially the first time, must be hard. Oh, I, I, I didn't do it to myself the first time. But, you know, once, you, once you're around it for like a month or two, well, for me, I've always been a quick learner anyways. And I don't have a lot of fear. So... I just, it was just what everybody around me was doing. I was surrounded by bad people. So I just did it to fit in and I, you know, like getting high. And then you quickly realize that, especially with opiates and I'm sure meth and stuff too, I never really did speed. But once you get started, you're hooked. And like that, they, they say hooked because you can't get away from it hardly. And when you do, it rips a piece of you out. And uh, I lost most of my, the people I would actually consider friends at that point in my life because they didn't want to be around it. And I had mad respect for that. But like every week, I just find myself around more bad people. And we started run, making runs to Indianapolis to go pick up balls or however much. And we'd bring it back, cut it down, make our money, make our dope for the week and still have some money left over to be able to make the next trip. And so that's when it really started getting bad because here I am. I'm not even 20 years old and I'm running a trap house. That was a rough point in my life. Um, Soon after that, that roommate... Real, real quick, go back. Explain what a trap house is. Well, I reckon it's a... My, my definition would be somewhere where you go <laughs> and there's a good chance you're being watched and you're going to get caught in a trap. You're either going to get, uh, you know, you're probably already hooked on dope and then chances are the cops are going to come find you and want to talk to you and want you to rat us out, most likely. And I praise God that he got me out of that before it ever came to that um my roommate at the time, they got pulled over for a taillight or something stupid, but it turned out he had a warrant. He hadn't finished up his stuff in Indiana. And so I didn't know that. And he got arrested and went back. Well, whenever we went to get some stuff out of his room for him, I realized how bad it was. We had little stuff going missing for quite a while. Everything that had ever gone missing in that house was in his closet. He'd been stealing from us. I found bottles of pill bottles full of what looked like little we called them teeners, tenths, tenth of a gram of heroin. Well, I was like, you know, I was still doing stuff. Okay, I'll do it. It was drywall. He'd punched a hole in the wall, crumbled up little pieces of drywall, and bagged it out, and that's what he'd been selling. Oh, and shit. So I, a bunch of people thought I was in on that. And so, yeah, I, I was kind of in fear for my life there for a while. And I that's crazy. I, I had no idea he was doing that. I was just trying to get high, you know. I wasn't even trying to – and. Another thing, he would try to convince people to do it. I wouldn't sell to anybody unless they already, I already knew they were addicted. I wouldn't give it to any kids. I wouldn't give it to anybody younger than me. Like They were already junkies that were coming over and buying for me. I wouldn't do that because I knew what it was doing to me, and I wasn't trying to get anybody else started in that life. He was trying to push it on people. And so that's where I realized that. I seen what he was doing. I was like, okay, I have to get clean. I, I'm, I don't want to go to prison. I have to get off this. And I don't know if you've heard of Suboxone. Yeah, it's a little, they're in uh, pill form, or they're these little tabs now, but they used to be in pill form. And I really like that because I was able to get five or six of those, I think. And I'd cut them down. So the first day I'd do one, second day I'd do one. After two days, I'd cut it in half. So I'd go to a half each. And then by the time I was out of those, I was down to like an eighth of one each. And that's what helped me get through the physical withdrawals. And so if you are hooked on opiates, I pray to God that 
maybe suboxone will work for you, but you can't abuse them. That's the thing. Everybody wants to try and get high on them. You have to want to quit before they'll work. You can get high on suboxone? I, I, I guess if that's what you want to call it. Non Anything that makes you not sober is high, in my opinion. You know what I mean? Kids do this air duster and stuff. That's getting high because they ain't sober. I wouldn't call it a good high, but they ain't sober. You know what I mean? And that's what so many people out there, they're just trying to escape reality. That's what I did for about 15 years. Why do you think you were trying to escape reality? Because reality sucks because you have to work to make a good reality for yourself and nobody wants to put in the work usually. Yeah. Honestly, um, I haven't until just a couple of years ago, honestly. So once you graduate high school and all that, what were you doing in your 20s? What was life like? Well, I got... Well, not graduate high school. Once you left high school, I should say. Moved, yeah. You know what I mean? I got my GED about 18, 19. Um, been working. After that happened, I got clean. And I want to say that I was July 3rd, right before my 21st birthday is the last time I ever did dope. And so I was clean by, uh, at 21 pretty much off of that. I was still doing mushrooms and stuff like that, but I just worked my butt off. I worked five, six days a week, make that money and try and get as high as I could on pot and go drinking and this and that. And that's, that was a good part of my life for quite a while. Um, I will say during the tail end of that, whenever I was in the trap house, I met my now wife or for now wife at least. And she was a big part of helping me get clean too, because I actually had somebody who cared somebody who wasn't on the stuff, but actually cared to help me get off. And I don't think I ever could have got clean without her. Um, but through that, we, she smoked pot too. And we just mostly got high and go hiking and fishing and just little stuff that we do around here in the boonies. Wasn't ever anything exciting, really. I've never taken a vacation until a couple of years ago. Just mostly working. I've been a workaholic most of my life. Yeah. <clears throat> Do you think that's part of your addictive issues? Oh, absolutely. And see, to me, addiction stems way deeper than just drugs or anything. I was addicted to video games at like eight years old. I, I still am if I allow myself to play them. Um, I get addicted to certain types of sodas sometimes. It's just anything that I find enjoyable, I seem to take too far. Well, yeah, because all those things create a dopamine release in the brain. Uh huh. I've been in counseling lately, and he's been explaining all that to me—the actual physiological side effects of it. Yeah. So I mean, anything that causes a dopamine release, we find pleasurable, and we will try to use it as much as we can. It's like a natural yeah. high. Yeah. So you've been sober since twenty-one from heroin. What was what were you doing with the other stuff? What other kinds of things were you doing besides shrooms? Did you do cocaine or anything like that? No, uh, during the trap house days, there was a guy that would come over and he'd bring quarter, I mean, bags of crack and he'd just want to get high with everybody. And so I smoked crack a few times and there was never anything I really enjoyed. It was How just feel? like you're in a tin box for about 10 minutes. You're in a tin box for 10 minutes? Yeah. Feels like you're like too much fun. Box, everything's just, a, it wasn't great. And I don't understand how people get, I mean, I've always, thought and i've had a couple people tell me dentists and stuff that i'm allergic to the ains cocaine uh lidocaine all that stuff because every time i go to the dentist unless they use this synthetic that's called marcaine i don't get numb and so i don't think that speed and stuff like that does the same thing to me that it does everybody else 
but I've never actually been tested for that except for, like I said, when I go to the dentist, I don't get numb. And they can give me four or five shots and it doesn't do anything. And so That's I can't, it. I'm probably not a good person to put a perspective on cocaine and stuff because I've done it, but it didn't really affect me. Gotcha. So when did you get sober off everything else? When, when was it? Then what um, made you do it? Well, um, about 25, I realized that I had been being really mean to pretty much everybody in my life. And so I tried to quit drinking and it took me probably a year. And with the support of my wife, I was able to finally put down the bottle for good. I haven't had a drink since I was probably 28. I tried, you know, once I went through a year or so, I tried to, oh, you know, I can just have a few beers. And that was okay for a little bit. And then it quickly turned back into that bottle of whiskey. And I realized that that's just going to be the rest of my life. So I haven't drank in probably four or five years at least. I don't keep a number on it. But um, I quit doing psychedelics around the same time. I wasn't doing them very heavy after I was about 22. I did a lot of – I did mushrooms every day for like 45 days one time. Not yeah. a whole lot, but a gram or two. And so I was. I went through that phase. I haven't tripped since I was probably 25. Um, hadn't, I haven't allowed myself to do opiates since then except for a time that I got hurt. Um, it was pretty much just pot from 25 until 30 and then I met Jesus and absolutely changed my life um, I was raised very religious and I'm I know that dad and grandpa tried to preach the you know you have to have a relationship but it is so much more than just going to church and being religious you have to have that relationship with him otherwise things don't change yeah and it, I, I encourage people if you are saved to go to church because uh, you'll learn, but more than that, it's you have that family to support you. You have those people that will get behind you and can hopefully understand your struggles and help you through things. But it's so much more. I don't. I go to church pretty regularly, but I don't think that you have to. The Bible does say not to um, forsake the assembling, but I think that's for our own spiritual benefit. It's not. It doesn't have to be like a religious practice that we have to do this or we're going to go to hell. It's that it helps us to stay in communion with those others and to have that relationship with Christ. Yeah. And so he, um, I'll just be blunt. I don't, if I can't talk about this stuff, you can cut it out. Um, when I got saved, I was going through a really hard time in life. I was about ready to kill myself. I was, I was ready to shoot myself in the head. And okay. well, I had been going through some stuff and my relationships weren't going too well. And I won't go into the full details, but life, was, life had just gotten to me. All I was doing was smoking pot. But it wasn't even drugs. It was just life. I was I was at one of those turning points people talk about, and I wasn't ready for it. I wasn't ready to grow up. And I met Christ, and he delivered me from weed, um, from pornography and chronic masturbation, um, anger. I used to have, I used to punch holes in the walls like once a week. I haven't done that in two, three years. Um, he just, he took all those really bad parts of me and got rid of them. And I can't explain it anything other than supernatural. Um, I have no explanation. There's nothing at all that I did except for repent and call him Lord. Um, that's the only thing I can say is I, I know God is real because I've experienced him because he delivered me. Uh, once I quit smoking pot, I realized just how negative it had affected me. Within the first three months, I got pretty much everything done that I'd been putting off for years. Started fixing things around my house. Um, fixing relationships in my life. I started talking to my mom again, which is unheard of. We hadn't talked for 11 years. And I just started rebuilding relationships and myself into a whole new person. And it's been a struggle, but he's getting me through it. And 
you know, every day's hard, but whenever you have him or somebody but him backing you up on it, you know you can get through it so you don't worry about it as much. Yeah. So it sounds like you're doing good nowadays. Yeah, I'm trying. Um, you know, like every day's a struggle, but when you have the joy of the Lord, he'll he'll get you through it. I don't. What were you saying? Go ahead. No, you go. I was. Like, I wouldn't be alive today if it wasn't for that experience. I wouldn't. Yeah. I would be dead. What are the type of things you do daily to keep yourself sober? Is it a lot of reflection, a lot of prayer, things like that? I wake up and pray every morning. Even if I have to jump out of bed and go help somebody, I'm praying in the car on the way there. But I try and get up, go to the bathroom, usually take a shower, and then I get down on my knees and pray for as long as I feel necessary. And then I try to get in the Word for at least a little bit every day. Read a little bit of Scripture, listen to it on the phone, something like that. And I'll tell you what, the Bible is alive, and whenever you open it, he will give you the passages that you need to read for that day. It might sound crazy, but it's the truth. You, your thumb will just go right to where you need to see. Your eye will see that passage that you need, and it will speak to you all day. And um, on top of that, like I had to realize that I'm an alcoholic. I haven't drank in five years, but I'll always be an alcoholic. I cannot have that first drink. So knowing that helps me to say no when somebody offers me a beer. Um, knowing that I have an addictive personality, and if I take just a hit of pot, I'm going to want to start smoking again, keeps me from taking that first hit. And that's really what it is, is that prevention of doing it the first time, thinking that you can master this thing because you can't. It's always going to master you. If you've had an addiction, it will always master you. Yeah. Well, it seems like you've had quite the story for you going through your life and all the trials and troubles you've been through. Yeah, and we're just getting started. Just getting started. I like oh, yeah. that. So did you have anything else you wanted to add in? I think it's been a pretty good interview. How do you feel? Oh, pretty good. Um, no, I, I really kind of left some stuff out because I don't want anybody to hear this and feel personally attacked. But I just want to leave, leave people that if you don't know Jesus or if you're on the fence, do the study. And I was all into Buddhism and Taoism and this and that. I, I searched through pretty much every major religion trying to find God. And he'd been in front of my face the whole time. And... I maintain that if you're looking for him, you'll find him. It, it will never be in the areas that you expect. But I have somebody close to me in my life right now that's been looking through all these different religions. And I was like, you know what? God's revealing himself to you because you're searching for him. The Bible says, knock and it'll be open to you, seek and you'll find. You don't have to get in the Bible to find God, but it'll help. But anybody that's searching, keep an open mind. If, if you've only been a Christian, keep an open mind to reading the Quran to, you know, reading the works of Buddha and stuff. Because if you look at it in facts, you'll find the truth. And so I know so many Christians, they're just so opposed to reading the Quran. It's like, well, you know, if you'd actually read it, you would be able to see what's wrong with it. And you'd be able to have better discussions with people and maybe, you know, help other people see the light. But so many people, they just want to shelter themselves in and not go out of their comfort zone. And that's the worst thing you can do. We have to be uncomfortable to simulate growth. All right, my friend. It's been a great interview. I want to thank you for coming on the podcast. It really means a lot. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. And like I said before, anything we missed, anything we glossed over? Not that I know of. All right, my friend. All right. So sit tight for me for just a minute. And for everybody watching and listening, if you like what you saw and heard, go below, give us a like. 
Also subscribe to see when we upload new videos. You can check us out on all social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, you name it, we're on it. I also suggest checking out our website, which is www.addicts-anonymous.com. There's plenty of free resources as well as free literature. Also, the last thing is Addicts Anonymous. The book is now out. Um, it's available on Kindle and Amazon. It's called Addicts Anonymous, Our Stories, um, and eventually it'll be available on many more platforms. But for now, it's just on Kindle and Amazon. So I hope you guys could check it out and give me some feedback. So that's all I have for today. Really hope you enjoyed it, and we'll catch you next time.